This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. And in other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. But before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters, Several listeners are supporting the podcast via Patreon. If you would like to join them, you can do so by join by going to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Thank you. Yeah, Bela, from my side too, thanks to our listeners and uh, to you. Who's our guest today? The, the big question. <laughs> yes. So our guest today is Larry Friedman. So I met Larry three summers ago at the marina. Uh, he and his wife uh, were there on this interesting-looking boat. It's a catamaran. So catamarans are very popular sailing boats these days. They have sort of, I think, new sailboats, something like 60 or 70% of new sailboats that are sold are catamarans. Very big, very spacious. So they have a catamaran, but it's not a sailboat. It's a motor catamaran or a power cat, as they're called. So it looks just like a sailing catamaran, but no mast. And it's got slightly larger motors. And they've had it for a number of years. So it's sort of an interesting boat. You don't see very many of them. And I would see Larry, you know, walking around the marina. And we got chit-chatting and got to be friends and a really nice person. And uh, he's retired. And so uh, along with his wife, uh, they live, after he retired, they moved full-time onto the boat. So they don't own a house, right? they live on the boat and uh, they summer in New England and they winter in Florida. So in the springtime, they're coming north from, uh, from Florida up to New England. And then in uh, September, October, they're heading south. So I just thought he'd be a great guest. And so he's our guest this week. Nice. And you know, you know, you've, you've had a couple of people on that live on their boats um, in the podcast over the years. And I never get tired of listening to how people do this, right? Like, 
Okay, and you know this, and but but maybe the listeners don't. So when my wife and I moved from upstate New York, not far from where you're sitting, to Germany, we moved from a pretty big three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bedroom uh, house with a two-car garage and a full basement. It was on like a half an acre, um, you know, even a little shed in the back to put the tools, right, to like a German two-bedroom apartment. And these are pretty standard. They all have like a little storage room in the basement, but that's it. And, you know, no garage or anything like that. And it was really kind of scary and kind of difficult to pare everything down. You take all this stuff in a big, uh, typical U.S. suburban house um, and pare down to to a small apartment. But I'll tell you, it was one of the most exhilarating and maybe one of the more satisfying, you know, not the top five whatever but up there in terms of satisfying is really simplifying and going to what you really need right and 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 kind of paring things down felt good from a sustainability standpoint and a simplifying things standpoint but i can't imagine taking that next step and moving into a boat even if it is a big power cat right that's still way less space i think than i have in my two-bedroom apartment so it's hard to for me to wrap that my head around all this so i think it's cool to listen to people but enough about me Let's get right to your interview with Larry Friedman. Sounds good, Mike. Let's dive right in. Hey, Larry, how are you? Pretty good. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen you all summer. We missed you guys. Yeah, we missed, uh, I guess, Copehaven a little. Um, we missed our friends on the dock. We didn't so, mi- so much miss Copehaven management, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, well, uh, you'll you'll be you'll be pleased to know that uh, Cove Haven management hasn't changed, <laughs> and and the people on the dock uh, and other boaters uh, remain as friendly and uh, engaging as ever. That's good. We yeah. met uh, uh, so we run a, a mooring ball in Bristol Harbor. Okay, which we liked a lot. And there was one other boat from AA Dock that was there this summer, uh, one mooring ball over from us. Uh, I forgot their name. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, there's there's always there's always some turnover. So you know, a couple of new people, uh, but most of the people are the are the same. They have started uh, really the pool. I think the pool and the new clubhouse or whatever it's going to be called. We'll be ready for next year. <laughs> so, still not ready. Uh, no, still no, no. They didn't finish it, but I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll be ready for next year. I'm optimistic. Let me put more than hopeful. I'm more than hopeful. I'm optimistic that it will because they dug up the old pool. Oh yeah. So, so, so there's no, so there's no pool this year. Right at the, well, no, the end of the season they dug it up. Oh okay. Oh, I forgot yeah. the season's over. Yeah. 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 Yeah, up where we are, the season's over. Yeah, my my boat just got hauled uh, yesterday or the day before, and uh, a slight hiccup. So I went out two weeks ago to get it all ready. You know, I do all the winterization before they haul it. So I do the air conditioning, the generator, the motor, the water system. I take care of all that stuff before they haul it. So all I basically have to do once they haul it is uh, disconnect the batteries and uh, put the cover on it. So I did that and I sent them a note saying, hey, just want to let you know the boat's ready. You guys can haul it anytime. And I get back a note saying, uh, you didn't take off your head sail. And I said, yeah, I usually take that off after you guys haul it. And uh, they said, well, this year you have to take it off before we <laughs> haul the boat. And I said, well, 
that thank you for letting me know <laughs> right it, you know it was like well this has always been a rule but we haven't enforced it well that's nice yeah, that, okay <laughs> thanks for being flexible in the past but you know I, so i had a i had it was a bunch of rainy days and then my son as you know who lives close by uh, him and his wife mm -hmm. went and took the sail down a couple days ago but you know they had a they had days off but it was rainy so then they didn't want to do it and yeah. blah 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 so anyway uh that was a little bit of a curveball that uh management threw at me <laughs> but uh other than that the the summer was good we did a, a a fair amount of sailing this summer i went out for a week with a friend of mine and we went down to newport uh and then we basically we were able to stay at newport shipyard which is this mega yacht shipyard down there in newport harbor it's in the yeah. north end of it right by the bridge and uh the bridge that goes to goat island yeah and uh we were there for three days i think and we took advantage of the you know the the safe harbor stay for free program oh that so you got into there for free huh yeah it was early season it was yeah it was, oh, okay it was yeah it was middle of june okay and That's, yeah i for a few weeks later my my, my older son who lives up here where we do um he and i went out for a week and i tried to get back in there and we couldn't the guy said yeah. ah we're just you know, this time i can't do it this time of year he was very apologetic and very you know friendly about the whole thing but uh so anyway we we stayed over at uh, jamestown uh, on a mooring ball and uh we basically went for day sails out of there uh each you know out into i guess it's called block island sound uh properly Right. And sort of a little bit up towards uh, the the canal and then towards Long Island Sound. So we had some nice, it was the first time for any of them sort of out in open water where there's a swell. So yeah. that, that was a new experience. Yeah. So, yeah. So, hey, thanks for, thanks for being, uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. Uh, you know, you and I met last year or the year before, I can't remember now. Uh, and, uh, at the marina, got to know each other a little bit. And I thought, given all of your sailing background and the adventures you guys are on, you'd make a great guest for the podcast. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was your boat because it's it's a power catamaran. So right. sailing catamarans have gotten very popular. And, and but power catamarans is basically, it looks just like a sailing catamaran, but it doesn't have a mast. <laughs> and uh, so tell us a little bit about that boat. Um, it's an Endeavor Trawler Cat 38. So Endeavor started making sailboats and they transitioned into powerboats years ago in uh, Clearwater, Florida. And uh, it's uh, the boat. The boats are nice because they're designed two two things. They're designed to be lived on, not just cruised on. And they're also designed to be maintainable, which is mm. not something that's popular with a whole lot of boat makers. Um, so, uh, and then what it looks like came third. So it's not the, maybe the prettiest boat, but it's extremely functional. So we like it a lot. Mm. And did did you guys did you get that new? 
No, um, we are the second owners. We bought it in 2012, and the the original owners lived on it as well. And they were they were getting older, and they weren't they found they weren't using it, so they decided to move off it. Yeah, uh, uh, it was just time for them to go, and give it yeah. up. So uh, it's uh, we got it at a at a good time. Uh, they had taken pretty good care of it, and uh, uh, we were looking at the time. We hadn't retired yet, but we were looking for our retirement boat. We knew what we wanted, and when we set foot on this boat, we knew it was what we wanted. Um, so we bought it in advance of retirement and basically got to know it before we took off on it. Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of people that they retire and they buy a boat and they take off down the coast. They don't really know how to use it yet. Um, so they can have little problems and sometimes big problems, but we didn't have any of that. Yeah. We knew the boat. So uh, did, did you know that you wanted a power cat for your, for your live aboard retirement boat? Yes. Um, we had been looking at boats. Um, we looked at a lot of boats. We used to go to a lot of boat shows. Um, and we came upon uh, catamarans, and then we, and then we came upon the Endeavor catamaran at either the Annapolis Boat Show or a Trawler Fest. I'm not sure which one. And uh, we looked at it a few more times. We got to talk to the owner of the company and his wife, and uh, um, ask a lot of questions. And, and it's nice. That, and he's the one who designed the boats, so he knew all the answers. And it was nice. Nice to talk to him. Um, so uh, then it was just a matter of finding the right boat. Yeah, yeah. And and what was your boating experience prior to getting this boat? Um, well, uh, I lived on an island um, when I was a kid. Um, we had a boat. We had a small boat, power boat, when, uh, when I was a kid. And then uh, no boats for a while. We moved to Virginia. And then in uh, 2003, we decided to get a boat and uh, we bought a uh, express cruiser um, and we had that one season and while we had it we figured out pretty quickly we needed a bigger boat um, we had we had two kids cruising with us at the time it's, there just wasn't enough room on the on the smaller boat so we bought an aft cabin a 45 foot aft cabin and uh, we had that for a while we went all over the Chesapeake Bay on it uh, that was our cruising area and uh, uh, until we found this boat, so, but we knew from that having that boat that that wasn't going to be a good retirement boat. Um, it had uh, uh, it didn't have a good galley. Uh, it had assorted issues, basically. I mean, it ran fine, but it wasn't what we wanted to live on. Uh, it wasn't a liveaboard design boat. Um, so. Uh, we figured out what what we needed and then we started looking for that and the catamaran fit the bill excellent excellent you know it's interesting how the the, the more time you spend on a boat uh, and the more experience you get the the things that at least for us if i had a list of top 10 things that i thought were important on a boat 10 years ago uh, and what i think is important on a boat today It'd probably be the same ten things, but the order would be significantly different. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I know, at least for us, that it's sort of your perspective changes. Well, it's funny. There's a big difference between always using the showers in a, in a marina and using the shower on board. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think at, at, uh, on, the, on the last two boats, we would use the shower in the marinas um, because they, we didn't like the showers on our boat. We could use them when we had to, yes. but they didn't work all that well. They didn't drain well. They didn't, uh, uh, the water pressure wasn't the greatest. Uh, now, I mean, since we had this boat, we haven't taken a shower in a marina once because the shower here is as good as the shower in a house. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned about the boat was that it's maintainable. Can, can you give a couple of examples of, of, of what you mean by that? Well, you can get at things uh, mm -hmm. that you need, that you need to get at. Uh, what's a good example? Uh, something that's hard on the old, old boat. Uh. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Um, yeah, access to the engines is probably a good one. Mm. Uh, on, on our first boat, the engines were completely unmaintainable by me. It had to be uh, tall and thin, very thin, like maybe 140 pounds to be able to slide in um, to, to the limited space uh, that you had to get at anything. Now, on that boat, I couldn't maintain anything. Hmm. Uh, on the On the next boat, it, there was a little bit of room between the two engines, but that was about it. Um, and uh, they were big eight-cylinder diesels. They took a, um, maybe 50 gallons of oil each, which is crazy expensive. Yeah. And uh, they burned a lot of fuel. Um, so, uh, but everything was hard to do on that boat. You couldn't reach places you needed to reach um and uh everything was difficult on this boat uh which only takes about two and a half gallons of oil per engine uh big difference in price uh, changing the oil uh everything that i need to all normal maintenance i can do the, the fuel filters are easy to get at the oil filter is is reachable uh um, uh, the generator is easy to get at. The generator on the old boat was uh, very hard to get at. I couldn't reach the impellers without hanging upside down. Uh, so uh, now I can just sit on a little stool and work on it. 
Um, so, you know, they thought about how you were going to get at everything, and then they put labels on everything just so you knew what everything was, um, which is helpful too. Um, so, uh, uh, and the same thing goes for wiring. Uh, the wiring is all easily accessible. Um, there are panels, wall panels come off. They're not screwed in, they're Velcroed in, 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 in strategic places. So you can open them up and get uh, access to the inside of the boat, basically, uh, and, uh, and actually step in there if you need to. Uh, so we, when we installed AIS a couple of years ago, uh, I had to get at that. And uh, I just climbed right in uh, behind the closet and ran the wires up where they needed to go and uh, uh, connected everything. And it was, it was relatively easy. So, uh, and everything is like that, that we need to get at. Wow. Well, you know, as, as you were describing those things, I'm, in my mind, I'm going a little checkoff list. Oh, that's really hard on my boat. Oh, that's impossible on my boat. <laughs> you know, and it they got they got about, you know, maybe half the stuff is easily accessible, but the other half's not. And and it's just as important. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think, you know, anyone who who does any work on their boat, uh, I, I haven't heard anyone praise their boat as, oh, that was really easy to get to. It's always a, a, a real nightmare. So that's that's really nice to hear that Endeavor sort of took that into account and that was part of one of their design philosophies in, in designing the boat and building the boat that it, it is uh, not just easy to put together at the factory, but also easy for the owner to access uh, various different components and, and areas. And uh, I think just the general placement of, of things is, is very smartly thought out. We have another power catamaran behind, right behind us on the dock who was getting um, some maintenance done on his engine. Um, and in his boat, uh, the stairs fold out and the engines are underneath the stairs right in the back of the boat, um, which uh, I was watching and I was thinking, boy, that's really easy to get at it. Um, you know, you just need to, uh, you don't have to haul your parts in. Our, our engines are under the beds. So you lift the beds up Mm -hmm. And they stay, and they can be fastened up so they stay up, and then you can just step right in there, and you have room to work, but you have to bring everything through the through the salon, and into the cabin. Um, but there's a downside to having it easily accessible under the stairs. The stairs are not watertight. The stairs leak a little, mm. and that can be salt water, which corrodes the engines. So yeah. you, have, you can have a, a problem. Um, and the guy that maintains our engines here um, told us this. Every, pretty much every boat like that that he's seen with the engines under the stairs has corrosion issues um, every single year yeah. that they deal with. Uh, and we don't. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any of that because the engines never see salt water. They never get near it. Yeah. They get splashed. Um, so, uh, you know, there are times when I think, well, I don't really like it under the bed, but it was there's a reason for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, if you if we called up the owner uh, of the company, we can't anymore because he died a few years ago. But you could call him up and ask him, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And he would tell you. Mm -hmm. So, oh, that was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we still we're still finding things. We've had the boat 
11 years, we still find things out like that. Yeah. That was a, a good idea we didn't think about. Yeah. Well, you know, on, on, on my boat, um, the, the engine is sort of underneath the stairs, halfway yeah. under the stairs and halfway under the cockpit sole. Um, right. And to get access, you remove the stairs. So right. I have a lot of access. But the problem is, if I need to go out into the cockpit, the stairs are gone. <laughs> so, right. So, so I, so I can't get out of the boat. So I got to yeah. put the stairs back, and then I can get out of the boat. And so it's, you know, it's again they got it about halfway right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. and that's the way our our previous boat was. the The engines were under the salon, so you had to lift up the floor, and once you did that, nobody could do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we didn't. We knew we didn't want that. And there are other power catamarans where you lift up the the floor in the salon. They have wider salons, mm -hmm. uh, and Endeavor has a model like that. Several models actually, and we knew we didn't want that. Yeah, uh, it's just too disruptive. Yeah, exactly. And it limits your access because the the opening is always smaller than what we have. The opening to our engine compartment is the width of the engine compartment. It's the width of the bed. Uh, it's a full queen size bed, so it's pretty wide. And I can so I can stand on either side of the engine if I want to. Yeah. And in in the, on the both sides of it. Pretty good. So having having a power cat, uh, that probably means it's pretty efficient through the water, and you get reasonable uh, cruising range and reasonable speed. What do you, do you have an idea for what those things are? Yeah. Um, we. We have a 400 gallon tank, uh, well, two tanks, um, 400 gallons total. Um, the boat uh, cruises at about seven and a half to eight knots. Um, when we're going seven and a half, uh, we burn about two and a half gallons an hour. Oh, wow. The boat, the boat empty will go 16 knots. It did go 16 on the sea trial. Uh, it was pretty well emptied out. Um, it won't go 16 knots right now with all our stuff on it. Sure. It would go four, it'll go 14 and a half probably. Um, we don't ever do that because then it will probably burn 18 or 19 gallons an hour, which we don't want to pay for. Yeah. Uh, and we don't have, since we're retired, we don't have any need to go that speed. Uh, and, and we found out we don't like traveling at that speed anyway. We like going slow. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, a lot of times we're going down the ICW and we come up and it can be fairly narrow and we'll come up behind a sailboat cruising along at six knots or so. And uh, we'll just slow down and cruise along behind them. So we're not in a rush and, and uh, we wouldn't get there much faster than him anyway. Uh, so we just enjoy the ride. Right, right. You'll, you'll catch each other at the next drawbridge. <laughs> And well, that's another nice thing about drawbridges. Um, we generally have, we go right under them, most of them. Yeah. Uh, we have a 15 foot air clearance. So that's good enough for almost every bridge on the East Coast. There's not a lot that we have to get. Um, so uh, we like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when we met at the marina, uh, uh, you're, you're plugged in all the time. So you're living on the boat. You're plugged in the shore power, but you were in a mooring ball this year. So what did, how did you guys manage power? Um, not as well as we would have liked to. Um, we, we've been on mooring balls before. Um, 
in, in several places. Um, we anchor out periodically. Um, so what we do is we run the, the generator twice a day. We run it in the, in the morning for hot water, take showers. When we're done with that, we shut it off. Uh, and then we run it in the evening, basically to charge the batteries, make hot, hot water to wash the dishes and, um, to, uh, and uh, charge up the batteries and then shut it off in the evening and, uh, and it's good until the morning. And we can go a few days probably without running it, but we just run it every day to keep the batteries in better shape. We don't have any solar power or wind power. Um, that's a probably would be nice. Um, we haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, a lot of people have solar, but uh, just not us yet. So yeah. we seem to do okay with what we're doing. Um, we have to manage the... Uh, the fuel use of the generator, but it doesn't use a lot. Um, and it runs off one side, one of our fuel tanks. So uh, like this summer, we drew that one tank down pretty good. Um, we are able to, with our fuel polishing system, move fuel from one side to the other. So I just move some fuel over and even the tanks out until we can go get some more fuel. Um, but we basically went the whole summer, I think, without doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what's your, what's your, uh, uh, energy storage? What kind of batteries do you have? We have, uh, I think it's four, um, AGM batteries. Okay. I don't know what size they are. I have it written down someplace. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I don't remember because we, we changed them three three years ago the first summer at cove haven we changed them yeah so now i don't remember the size of them yeah so when you so you had some boating experience you said okay we want this power cat you bought the power cat and what have what have been some of your um i don't know surprises isn't the right word but what are some of the things that you didn't expect when you moved aboard and said, okay, we're going to start living on a boat instead of on terra firma. I think we did not have a lot of surprises. Like I think a lot of people do have because we had the boat for eight years before we started living on it. Mm -hmm. so we knew the boat. We knew what it would be like. We'd had taken extended trips. We'd, we'd, we'd stayed on it for two weeks of vacation in the summer. Um, at a stretch. So we knew what it was like to stay on the boat. And uh, we didn't, I don't, I don't think we had any real big surprises. Uh, I mean, we knew how to drive the boat. We knew how it, how it handled. Um, we knew, uh, uh, we knew how to get around on it. Um, we knew how to navigate all that stuff. Uh, it wasn't yeah. new to us. So, um, you know, we knew where, uh, you know all the all the storage locations we had. Uh, we still don't always remember where everything is. Uh, <laughs> or, uh, we've read articles about people who say, "Oh yeah, just you keep a spreadsheet inventory of what you have and where it is." And I've talked to other people who say, "That's that's crazy talk because nobody's going to keep that thing updated. So right. it's not going to be any. It's right. a waste of time doing it." Um, which yeah, I sort right. of agree with. I, I you know I will tend to just go get something, and we're not going to go right down. Yeah, we took. Um, so 
it's not that bad um, uh, where we forget. Well, and there's not that many places to go look. So we've got plenty of time to go look since we're retired. Yeah. We'll be back to work on, on Monday. So, exactly. Uh, it's so uh, for not, I would say we didn't have any real big surprises. Oh, that's good. That's good. And, um, uh, what are what are some of the bigger challenges for being a full-time liveaboard? Um I would say one one big challenge is you have to always know either how to fix something yourself that breaks or where you can go to get it fixed. Because there's a lot of places that aren't real good at fixing things. Uh but won't tell you that. Um and and there's a lot of places that are real good at it um so you have to learn where those places are and the best place best way to do that is to talk to other boaters they will yeah. and have them tell you their experience so uh, and, and I, the other thing i think one thing you have to learn is where can you get hauled out um, which is a little harder to do with our boat because it has a 16 foot beam mm -hmm. um than for some boats like if you have a 12 foot beam it's not real hard and if you get you know all out on a boat ramp well that's a whole nother story but uh, uh we have to know if something happens to us where could we get hauled out in a pinch and it gets a little more complicated because we have to know um how to deal with hurricanes um and our, our uh, number one approach is to stay away from them which is why we like new england in the summer and, and, and are not worried about staying there a little longer in the fall. Um, we stayed at Block Island, I think, until September 11th or 12th this year, um, and then got down into Long Island Sound, and then uh, a couple storms hit, and we were stuck there for a while. But we were in a relatively safe place. Um, so, uh, but we still always need to know, if we had to be hauled out, where would we go? Yeah. Um, so uh, you have to learn that stuff. Um, you have to learn uh, because I don't think there's any books on that, something like that. Where You know, who can you trust to fix your boat for yeah. you know, going up and down the coast? Um, there's um, places where you can look at reviews of marinas so you can figure out whether it's a good marina to stop that or not. But not, for, not so much for repair shops. I think Active Captain had ideas about that uh, building something like that right before they sold out to Garmin. That yeah. was the end of that. Um, but uh, uh, that's important uh, stuff to know. And and also um, knowing how to fix things is 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 very helpful. I learned I've learned how to do more stuff since we've lived on the boat because um, um, I have the time to do it. Basically, mm -hmm. it wasn't that I couldn't do it before, but I didn't have time to learn it. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, I had the, I had the, you know, I could afford to pay for somebody. Now I don't want to afford to pay for somebody. Right. right. Yeah. Hey, you know, with respect to uh, finding good tradespeople to to fix and repair things on your boat, uh, one or two podcasts ago, I interviewed a guy named Merrill Charette, and he started a website called ShipShape.pro, and it's basically the Angie, I call it the Angie's list of all things marine. So it's it's an aggregation of 
you know, guys who do fiberglass work, people who do uh, refrigeration repair, people who do mast rigging or engines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a free website for people to use. And, uh, you know, after I interviewed him for the podcast, I, I checked it out and it looked, it looked pretty promising. So that, that might be us. I'll, I'll pass that on to you. It's called shipshape.pro. That's interesting. That's a very good idea. Yeah. So, I mean, that seems like something he ought to publicize that he's got it someplace where people would see it. Yeah. I don't know where where that might be without having to pay for an ad, but uh, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a good, clever idea. And he and he's a full-time liveaboard in Boston Harbor 12 months of the year. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So he's got yeah. inter interesting stories about the winter. Yes, yeah, we had a good, a good conversation. So it reminds you, what do you do for sort of heat? Do you have any heat on the boat? Um, well, we have reverse cycle heating and air conditioning. Oh, okay. So as long as the water temperature is above 45 degrees, it will make heat. So that's why we go to Florida, where the water temperature never gets that low. Even if it gets cold, it won't get that low. So we run our heat. Got it. But we also make sure we get far enough south in Florida so it doesn't get freezing, below freezing for an extended period. because. We have some freshwater lines that are outside the warm area of the boat that are at risk. Yeah. So we have to be careful of those. Uh, but other than that, as long as we've got enough water temperature, uh, we're okay inside. Excellent. So, so remind me again for how many years you've been kind of going, spending winters in Florida and summers in New England? It's three and a half about now. We started okay. in the spring of 2020, right at the height of COVID. Uh, basically, we moved onto the boat, which we think was actually probably the safest place for us to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because neither, neither one of us ever got it. I mean, we got the shots and the boosters and everything, but uh, we, we were able to stay away from uh, people uh, for the most part. We wore masks uh, and, uh, uh, you know, stayed on the boat. Yeah, so I think it worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, so talk talk to us a little bit about sort of your your passage planning for let's say from this summer from go from leaving uh, uh, the harbor here up in Narragansett Bay and heading down to Florida. How do you sort of plan that passage? Uh, there's there's two. Uh, things that we do. One is that, that I keep a spreadsheet that has the stops that we're planning. And uh, I keep track of, of the distances between them in there, which lets me translate that into how long that, that leg will take and also how much fuel that will burn because we can't trust our fuel gauges. Mm. Um, uh, one is re somewhat accurate the other one is less so the lower it gets in the tank so when we have a half a tank left it will look like we have um maybe a quarter um or less but when it when it's on we have so there's 200 gallons in each tank when it when the gauges are on half uh if you fill them up they'll only take about 80 each um so we use the spreadsheet to manage our fuel burn and then i can plan out where i want to buy fuel so I can look at the prices and see 
and, 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 and track that out. So the spreadsheet is very helpful. It lets us know where we're gonna be, where we can be. And if we have to delay for weather, um, we can easily adjust um, and, and, and kind of recalibrate it. Um, so that's helpful for all of our uh, planning. Once we get to Norfolk, the rest of the way, uh, Norfolk, Virginia, um, the rest of the way um, for, for trip planning, we kind of rely on um, what's known as Bob 423. Yep. Um, so you're, you're smiling. It sounds like you know who I'm talking about. I do. Yep. His, na the his name is Bob Shearer, and we have met him on the water. And uh, he, he has been traveling from Poughkeepsie, New York to um, Florida Keys and Key West uh, for probably 20 something years. And what, but what he does is he is a scientist of, of boat travel and he studies um, all of the available data for um, charting. Um, so the, all of the latest Corps of Engineers so, uh, sonar scans, he studies and he, and he publishes the, the best route down uh, uh, from, and it starts in Norfolk, um, down to, I guess, is it at Fort Lauderdale? And, and, it's, and he publishes it in four sections. Um, so it's in, it's in a standard format and you can import it into any chart plotter, should be able to read it. Um, and uh, so we use that. So uh, the only thing I have to plot um, from Norfolk South is any kind of little deviations from his route that we do because we want to visit someplace that's not on the route. Yeah. Uh, and he also publishes little deviations of, of places he's gone. Um, uh, so uh, we follow Bob and we can tell that a lot of other people do too because his his route will veer off to the to one side or the other of the channel and you wouldn't think that would be the way to go and we'll be behind another boat and we'll see him do it and uh we know that he's following bob then and yeah, if we yeah. go straight and don't follow bob we'll see it get shallower and if we veer back off onto the route we'll see that he's he's always right <laughs> and he had a route in in south carolina that went outside of the channel and across what on my chart plotter looked like solid land that I, I just couldn't bring myself to do. And uh, because we only have a three foot draft on our boat, we could go through the Mark channel. Um, but uh, uh, I watched that and and Bob, what Bob did though was he, he I think he went to the, to the Coast Guard with his, his track information and said, this way is much better than the way you have. And they, to their credit, well, I don't know if it was them or the Corps of Engineers. They went and looked, and they said, "Yeah, you're right." And they moved the channel markers to that spot in South Carolina. So now we can we can follow his track all the way. We don't have to go the other way. And and he's right. When you follow it, for you actually do follow it. It doesn't go through solid land. Solid land. Yeah. It sure, look like it. Uh, yeah. Maybe I have updated charts too. That that they updated the the, the charts have been updated to show that. Uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty impressive. That is, that so, is. Uh, uh, we trust Bob, and uh, you can you can Google Bob four two three, and his website will come up. You can download his tracks.
So in, in addition to Bob 423, what are some other real important tips for, for going up and down the coast of the United States? Um, well, you have to know where to get marine forecasts. There are certain parts of, of, the, of the coast where you need them and certain parts where you don't. When you're inside the ICW, they aren't any good uh, because they're for out offshore. Um, when you're uh, north of Norfolk, you want to look at them for the Chesapeake Bay and you want to look at them for the Delaware Bay. You want to look at them for the Jersey Coast. You want to look at them for Long Island Sound and Block Island Sound, all in there. Um, uh, but once you get south, um, not so much. Um, you want to look at the at, at, at the weather forecasts every day. Um, you want to get one that will tell you the wind hourly uh, because the daily forecast will just tell you the most it's going to be for the day. But that may be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you may be already right. tied up for the day by then. In fact, you should be tied up by then um, because in most places the wind uh, builds pretty good. Uh, in the afternoon, anybody who's been on a mooring ball in Bristol Harbor knows that. <laughs> yeah, it's generally rough in the afternoon, rougher in the afternoon. Um, but that's true up and down the coast. So, if you leave in the morning and uh, are in, you know, by one or two, uh, it makes for a nice day. You're in port or wherever you're stopping. You can relax. You can maybe sightsee a little. Um, and just take it easy and it's not it's not like work what you don't want to do is is go eight hours or nine hours or ten hours like some people do um that's work um that's not what we're out here for so you're exhausted you can't walk you can't do anything else uh and you won't enjoy it um we we have done some long long days the longest one we do is going down the jersey coast and there's a reason for that um uh so uh and the good news is going down the Jersey coast on a nice day is, is relatively easy. You, you, uh, as long as you got an overworking autopilot. Um, and that's one tip, make sure your autopilot works. Yeah. Um, or it's, 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 you think it's not hard to steer your boat, uh, for a long time. Our previous boat did not have autopilot. And I could tell you after three hours, I was tired. Yeah. Um, you don't, you're cruising for six hours maybe of the day. Uh, you don't want to do it. Um, you need the autopilot working. Um, ask anybody whose autopilot has broken. They know. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so when uh, you when you go when you go down the coast of New Jersey, do you go Sandy Hook to Cape May nonstop, or or do you uh, stop along the way? No. Um, we uh, we went this time. Uh, we previously we've stopped in Staten Island, basically because I'm from there. Um, but uh, we stopped. We didn't stop there this time because they didn't have any room for us. Um, so we anchored off Cape up at the top corner of Cape May, which is a nice anchorage, and there was a lot of boats there, and there's plenty of room. But from there, uh, Cape, no, Cape May Cape May's at the southern end. Uh, Cape May's at the southern end. Southern end. Sandy Hook's at the top end. So we anchored right, at Cape yeah. May. I mean, we anchored at Sandy Hook. Um, yes. From Sandy yeah. Hook to Cape May is 120 miles. That's too much for us in a day during daylight. We don't go at night. Um, we don't do overnight cruises. But um, Sandy Hook to Atlantic City is 80 miles. Um, so 
we go we go in and, and Atlantic City has a real wide inlet. It's easy to get in. So we mm -hmm. go in there, stay one night, and then go back outside um, and go 40 miles down to uh, Cape May. Go in the inlet there, which is Got probably it. the best inlet um, in New Jersey. Um, that's a nice wide one. Um, so uh, we've done the the intracoastal waterway inside of New Jersey from Cape May to Manasquan Inlet, which is all there is. Um, I, we probably ran aground four times between Cape May and uh, Atlantic City in the channel. Um, there was one bridge that didn't work properly, so only half of it went up, and we had to squeeze through there um, with maybe a couple feet on each side, which we didn't appreciate. Um, and we don't like running the ground in the channel, so we don't go that way anymore. Um, we have gone through the intercoastal waterway from Atlantic City to Manasquan several times, and we don't much enjoy that either, but at least there, we didn't run aground in there. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of narrow. There's a lot of um, boaters who don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they don't own boats, they're rental boats. They'll anchor in the channel and sit there and you can't go outside the channel. So you have to stop and ask them to move out of the way. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just easier to go outside. So, uh, so it's a, basically a 10 hour, 10 hour day for us. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, it, it's it's not a it's not a usually tiring one. Like like uh, ten hours weaving around on the ICW would be uh, further down. Uh, you wouldn't want to do that. Uh, out in the ocean is relatively easy. Yeah, yeah, very nice, uh, very very nice. Uh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I've never I've done the Kate. Uh, Sandy Hook to Cape May nonstop, but like you said, it was an overnight. We left, you know, in the evening from uh, or in the late afternoon from uh, Sandy Hook, and then arrived at Cape May uh, in the morning or in the daylight hours. Um, I've done that. I've often wondered about stopping in Atlantic City. I never have. Um, um, that would. Yeah, I mean, if you like to gamble, that's the place um, because the marina is at a casino, so you can just walk over there um yeah uh other than that there's nothing else around there um we don't particularly like the stop but uh the, the alternative uh, and you can anchor there there are some some anchorages uh around there um we don't like them that much i guess we haven't found one we like there so yeah we can stay at the marina um but uh uh a lot of people uh, do do what, like what you did. Um, they'll go overnight and uh, go to Cape May. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess in the summer you can make it all in the daytime. You can't do it at the times of the year that we're traveling. Right. Right. Those swings in daylight hours yeah. really really impact you. So, what are some of your, uh, let's say, Norfolk down to to Florida? What are some of your must must stop places. If you're if you're making this trip, you gotta stop here and spend spend a day or two. What are what are the top ones on your list, Larry? Um that, that's an interesting question. People ask us all the time what's our favorite stop ever. Um and that probably is Block Island. But uh 
Uh, other stops that we like, um, we like Coin Jot Marina. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's, it's just a one night stop. Um, it's a long face stock. Uh, it has uh, uh, an excellent restaurant that we like. Um, the dock hands are very knowledgeable. It's easy in and easy out. Uh, although they do tie you up pretty closely. Um, so you're generally, um, the anchor of the boat behind you will be on top of your dinghy if it's hanging off the back of your boat. Um, but uh, we, we have found the way to deal with that is be the last one out in the morning. <laughs> and else to go on. Um, uh, so we like coin jock. Uh, what else do we like a lot? Um, uh, we like Beaufort, South Carolina a lot. Mm. Um, that, that's probably got the prettiest waterfront of any uh, town on the water. Um, uh, and, and so and, and there's another little factor is um, people will ask us about Charleston. They'll ask us about Baltimore. Yeah. We don't, um, we don't stay there. Um, we don't like cities. The city cities are too big. Charleston is is probably a nice uh, nice enough place if you can get over to where the nice stuff is. Um, the Charleston City Marina with the, the, the famous Mega Dock um, is where a lot of people stay. Uh, we have stayed there several times. It's not near the nice part of the city, and you can't walk there. Um, and the shuttle vans don't always run. Yeah. Um, so uh, and uh, the mega dock is not a particularly great place to stay um, uh, if you want calm water. Um, it can be pretty rough on the outside, and it's pretty tight on the inside. So, and and, and actually, transient boaters are generally on the outside. So um, we found alternatives to to that. Uh, um, uh, one that we do like, Saint Augustine. Um, it's a city, but it's not a huge city. Um, and it has a very nice marina where you can just walk across the street into the heart of the city. And the, it's really nicely lit up in the fall um, with all white lights. Uh, so it looks really nice in the, when it turns dark. Um, so we like, we like it there. Um, this episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. So, uh, but there, there's a, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot of interesting places to stop at a, a lot of interesting little towns yeah, uh, and, uh, and little marinas where maybe there isn't a town, but the marina has a ship store and, and sometimes a restaurant and the, and the marina owners are, are really helpful and understand boaters and kind of cater to them. Um, so, uh, you know, we kind of accumulate places like that. Yeah. Uh, very nice. So when you, you, you said you, this year you left, it was like mid, mid September, you left from, uh, Bristol and, 
your your first stop was your favorite stop, Block Island. <laughs> we left the day after Labor Day. Yeah. Which and is generally when we target to leave. And then we go down to Block Island and stay there um, for uh, uh, a bit of time. We had to stay an extra day or two, I think, because of weather. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Block, Block Island then, um, the uh, mooring balls are easy to get then. Um, and they're half the price, too. Um, and uh, um, Block Island also has one additional benefit that you can get in the summer. You can't always get um, after Labor Day, but we um, we had a bonus this year, which is Aldo's Bakery Boat, which is um, probably the reason or a good part of the reason why Block Island is our favorite stop. We love that boat. And uh, he comes around in the morning and the, and the afternoon uh, and it's just the greatest thing ever to get that get um, uh, bakery stuff delivered to your boat. <laughs> yeah, what a great business idea! Because it doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, Cuddy Hunk has a fish boat in, in the afternoon, uh, which is nice, but the bakery boat beats them. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. How long? How long do you typically plan for your trip from north down to Florida? Um, elapsed, it, elapsed time. It's um, it it's broken into two parts because we always do the the trip in in um, uh, Rhode Island to Southport, North Carolina, where which is where we are now, um, and where we'll stay for a month uh, or more depending on um, what we have going on here, and then from Southport down to Florida we plan um, separately. Um, so it's like two big round trips, and and so it's two spreadsheets. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, we, it's probably three weeks of travel time from Rhode Island to Southport. Um, we typically plan it to take longer than that because we have to allow for weather. Um, uh, so I will basically in, in the spreadsheet, I will build in weather days, um, just kind of randomly through there. I don't know when they're going to occur, but I know that they will. Um, and it's probably, um, it's probably four weeks from Southport over to the West coast of Florida, um, for Myers. Um, and, uh, that's without weather days, I think. So yeah. this year when we left, uh, we left Block Island, I think on September 12th, um, then we got into Long Island Sound. We got to Milford, Connecticut, and we stayed there five nights, even though that should only have been one night because of the first hurricane. I think that was Ian. Um, and that's a perfect place to be in a hurricane because of the shape of the of the river there. Um, it's like an S, so um, there can't be a surge in there. And plus, we were on a floating dock anyway. So we were, we were perfectly protected from wind and surge. Um, we went from there to Manhasset Bay, um, which is kind of our staging location to go south because we, we, um, we don't want to be in um, Staten Island or Sandy Hook more than one night. Um, so we sat, we got to Manhasset Bay, and then there was another storm that was coming up the coast, which I forget its name. Um, but that kind of lingered. Um, it took a while, and we actually had four straight days of rain that something we've never seen since we've been living on the boat. It never rains for four days straight. 
um, where we never got off the boat um, and uh, uh, hauled up our dinghy so the water would drain out of it. Um, and we were actually there 12 nights waiting for the ocean to calm down, along with a bunch of other sailboats on the mooring balls. Everybody was waiting. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to do that. You can't go out into the ocean when it's you know, seven and eight foot seas or higher. Um, you got to wait for it to calm down. Um, so uh, we did that. Um, and uh, once we moved south from there, we were down here probably within, uh, uh, I think it was 16 days of cruising. We only had one weather day. Yeah. So we got down here in just a little over two weeks from Manhattan Bay. Yeah, nice. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that's how it works out. So you have to allow for weather. Um, may not happen, and then maybe you're going to get there early. But uh, that, that's how we plan it. So we're starting now. We're not sure. We're, uh, so now Southport is kind of our home base. Um, we're officially residents of Southport, even though we don't really live here. Um, our cars are here. Um, we own a lot here that we'll eventually build a house on. So our stuff is in storage, storage units here. Um, and so the cars are actually right up the street from the marina. We can walk up and get them. Um, we can drive around. We see doctors and dentists here. Um, we get our engines maintained here. I have a mechanic who comes to the boat who's an expert in Yanmar engines who takes care of them uh, for the advanced stuff. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, so we're, we're probably, we got here uh, October 17th. We're probably going to be here till early December. Um, and, uh, uh, and then we'll move on. So uh, we're, we're in the uh, planning process now. We haven't pinned down our, our departure date. But as soon as we do that, we'll be able to identify when we're going to get to places down the line. But uh, it's, it's pretty flexible right now. Yeah, very nice. Well, like you said, one of the benefits of being retired is that uh, you can take a nice leisurely pace. And if uh, you need to stay someplace or you want to stay someplace for an extra several days, you can do that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We see boats because where we're at now, um, we see a lot of boats, um, you know, going down the ICW and, and there's kind of two schools of thought. One is, is they go the way we're going. Um, and then the other school of thought, and we go maybe 40 miles a day, average, something like that. Um, the other school of thought is they want to make 200 miles a day. So they're flying. And they'll stop in here. They'll get here, you know, five, you know, five thirty in the afternoon. They'll be exhausted. Uh, they'll, they might drag themselves to the restaurant, get back on the boat, go to sleep, take off in the morning, and try and do another two hundred days. They're not enjoying themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't. They didn't see anything. They didn't get to relax. Uh, they and uh, uh, they just, you know, they just fly along at twenty five knots. Every play, every stop they make, they got to fuel the fill the fuel tanks, and uh, they don't see anything. Uh, and uh, you know, they probably unless they do, you know, they're good at doing slow passes. They probably get a lot of people yelling at them too. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, 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 it, it seems like a miserable way to travel, and and you know maybe they're working and they're moving the boat. I don't know. So, you know why are you doing that? 
Um, uh, but we see a lot of people doing it. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's, you know, I'm not counting the, you know, the, the sport fishers that spend the summer in New England and the winter in Florida and they got to move the boat. We understand that. Right. That's a right. different story. And they, they do longer stretches than that. Um, but th that's different. They're working. Uh, that, that's, that's a different story, but people are not working 200 miles a day is crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I I'm, I'm much more akin to the way that you guys travel than, uh, than sort of doing these long eight and 10 hour days, uh, or, you know, 24 hour a day days yeah. <laughs> for three days in a row. I've and along at, at seven knots. I mean, you can, you can look at the birds on the side, it, you know, it, it's really impressive to see bald eagles. You see a lot yeah. of them. Um, uh, we, uh, you know, you see, see dolphins, um, in from here South, you, you might see dolphins every day. Um, we, we had them right off our dock this morning. Um, and, uh, we've even seen in, in, uh, just further North of here in a canal, uh, a mother bear and two cubs swimming across the waterway in front of us. Wow. So I, th I thought it was a log. I was going to have to stop and go around. And I was looking at it. I pulled out the binoculars to, to see how big it was. And it, it, the front of it turned and looked at me and said, that's not a log. <laughs> that's a face. And I can see that's a bear face. And uh, uh, so we just stopped and let them go across. And, and you could see the little little cubs were swimming along and one of them was faster. It was right behind the mother and the other one was kind of lagging behind. And the mother was a little nervous about us, but once we stopped, she was fine. Yeah. Just waiting for the little guy to get across. Uh, and then, you know, they climbed up on the other side and, and, you know, were gone in the brush, but uh, we'd read about that in the, in the guidebooks and, and actually got to see it for ourselves. If we were speeding along, we probably would have never seen that. Right. Uh, exactly. So um, it's it's really nice, and well, we've seen uh, uh, horses, you know, wild horses on the on Cumberland Island in Georgia and, and in Beaufort, North Carolina, horses. Um, it's there's there's a lot of nice, interesting things to see. Yeah, so, yeah, it's so slow to see them. Yeah, I've I've done it once from from south to north, and uh, I'd I'd love to do it again. It was a great great trip. We we did it a little bit faster than you. We did longer days, but it was a slow. It was a, a sailboat, so it was slow. Um, but yeah, it's a. It, it, I, I think that's a trip that if you want to, you can make it into a wonderful, wonderful adventure. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so Larry, we we've been chatting for uh, almost oh just about an hour now. Okay. So uh, start wrapping this up. So are, are we going to see you at Cove Haven next summer? I hope. Uh, uh, you probably will not. Um, ah, for, for one thing, I don't think it, from, from what Kenny says, um, uh, management is not interested in transient boaters. They're interested in slip holders, which is why we weren't there this year. Um, there was no space for us. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think the other sailboat that was on the morning ball said the same thing. There wasn't any space for them either, unless they paid for the slip for the year, which they didn't want to do. Um, so I think we're going to go back on the, the mooring ball to Bristol. And, uh, what we found, I think is, is, uh, you know, other than the pe then, you know, people we met on the docks, um, we didn't miss it. Um, I mean, it's nice to be at a dock. It's, it's just kind of simpler, but on the mooring ball, 
with a short dinghy ride, we're right in the town of Bristol. And and Bristol is great. Um, and we can walk around all over there. Um, uh, you know, we can, we can ride our bikes on the bike path if we want to. Um, uh, we can get Ubers over to the, to the grocery store if we need to. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just nicer over there overall. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's and, beautiful uh, little town. You know, you meet the, some of the people on the other mooring balls and, uh, and, and the other, and the 4th of July parade, you know, is another, is another great thing of, of just Americana that we yeah. get to walk, walk over to pretty easily. You know, this, this past summer, uh, speaking of Bristol, we went to the uh, Hirschhoff Museum. Have you mm -hmm. been there? We haven't gone in it. We've walked by it. We walk on their docks. They have interesting boats tied up on their on their dock uh, periodically um, that we it's, walk down to look at. But we haven't it, actually gone in the museum. It's, it's, worth, it's worth going into. It was, it, it was so much more than I expected. Right. <laughs> it was it was it was remarkable and there's a i think it was like i don't know 15 bucks or something a person it wasn't very expensive and there's a movie that you can watch it's like a 45 minute movie it's well worth it because it kind of puts the whole story together and and you realize that they employed almost 400 people in that place in its heyday yeah it's remarkable and just the two brothers and the way they interacted and and the and the genius they had uh, it's, it's, if you're in Bristol, uh, I would definitely recommend, uh, going to the museum. Yeah, we need to try We need to do that. So we walk by it. We go on a lot of walks. So we, uh, yeah. uh, uh our, probably our favorite stop is probably a bakery and that's <laughs> a really good one in, in Bristol. Um, but, uh, we, we, we need to stop in there too. Yeah. Well, Larry, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, maybe this su coming summer uh, we can get together in Bristol. Yeah, uh, sounds good. And uh, go to go to that bakery, <laughs> have a <laughs> cup of coffee. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. It was wonderful. Well, thanks for inviting me. You betcha. Interesting interview, Bela. I love hearing Larry's story. I mean, my question to you back though is. Do you have any itch to move aboard Paradox full-time? Well, if by full-time you mean maybe a month or two at a time, <laughs> yes. But full-time, if you mean like Larry, no. <laughs> uh, I, I like our big house. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it would be challenging to live on a boat full-time, at least for me, given my lifestyle, what we do. I respect people who do that. I, I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm interested in learning how they do it. Um, but you know what? Then again, people are very adaptable, right? If 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 you really wanted to do that, or for some reason you had to do it, right? I'm sure you can figure out how to make it work. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think I'd I'd want to I'd want to live aboard full time. Uh, but you know what? There are some nice things that by living on it for a month or two at a time, you you get to experience. Uh, you know, your your yes, your your house is floating with you, but you're sort of. And what I really liked about Larry is he's on a slow pace, not a schedule, and there's no rush. I mean, that really came out. I thought in the conversation with him, right? It's not like okay, we 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 got to get to we got to get to North Carolina by this date. <laughs> 
it's just, well, we'll get there. And if we have to sit someplace for four or five days because we want to wait out the weather, we'll do that. And when you do that, you sail when the weather's nice. You're much more comfortable. It's much more enjoyable. And you don't get into trouble. You don't get yourself into situations that you may need to extract yourself from. So I think there's a lot to be said for this whole notion of sort of doing things at a slow pace and particularly in sailing, letting the weather dictate when you're going to go. And, and I think, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah, I totally agree. And you could, you could just feel the sense of he was just, he wasn't stressed. You know, this is a guy with very little stress in his life. That's the vibe that I, you know, I, I, uh, I picked up on, which is pretty cool. I liked how they knew the boat before they decided to move aboard full time, right? He had the boat, I forget, for six or seven years or whatever. And so they knew they took some long trips. So they knew what they were getting themselves into. I think it'd be a lot harder to just do this kind of without, you know, you buy a boat and you move, right? It would be impossible. But these, uh, what do you call them? Power cats, whatever you yes, cool power cat. These catam catamarans with motors. I saw a few of these when I was in Monaco and Nice this summer. I mean, they look pretty plush. These were pretty big ones too, but. I was like, wait, that's a catamaran. And it's like, there's no mass, there's no sail, right? And it kind of all made sense. I looked it up and I'm like, yeah. So um sounds like there's some interesting elements to these these power cats, like a whole different class of boat that hasn't existed all that long, right? What's your thoughts on these? Or you know, why would you choose one of these to to live on? Well, I I think uh a, a couple of points. I think, and you brought this up in the beginning of what you just said. The notion that they bought the boat and used it and went on extended vacations on it for several years before they decided to live aboard, you know, move on board, I think is really wise. I mean, there's people who do the opposite, right? They they buy a boat, mm -hmm. they sell their house, and like they they go from let's go 100 living on land to living on a boat that's brand new to them all in a week, <laughs> and it works, right? right? But I think this notion of the way they did it makes a lot of sense to me. And if I remember correctly, uh, I, I think Larry's an engineer type, computer science type person. So some of it all starts to make sense, uh, being mm -hmm. a fellow engineer. Uh, so that to me just made a lot of sense, right? Because you learn about the boat, you understand how to fix things, and you're not panicking and you're comfortable. And you sort of understand what you're getting yourself into. So I think catamarans have have really gotten popular. And I think here's, here's a couple of really, I think, nice features about a catamaran. Um, number one, there's a lot of space. So, you know, a 45 foot catamaran compared to my 45 foot monohull, the catamaran is more than twice as big square foot living space wise, <laughs> right? Cause it basically has two 45 foot hulls <laughs> that are separated by 14, 15 feet. And in between them is a nice big platform that typically has your galley and your living room in it. And the halls are sort of where the, the bedrooms and the, and, and the uh, showers and bathrooms are. That's typically how, how they're laid out. So a lot of space uh, for length. Per length, there's a lot of space. Uh, they, they are are they don't heel over you know a sailboat when the wind picks up it leans and and some people find that exciting other people less so so a catamaran, right. yeah the nauseating right mm -hmm. and a catamaran doesn't lean uh so uh, and they're pretty fast so 
for for this same sort of size boat, you know, my boat goes maybe seven knots. Catamaran can easily go nine, ten knots. And you might say, oh, that's not it much. difference but, on a long trick. No, and, and, on a long trip, that makes a difference. That's a third <laughs> shorter, right? That's right. That's right. It makes it, you know. And you can outrun weather more. And yeah. you're, you're taking a five-day, you know, it's, it's a five-day trip for them. It's a six-day six trip for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. And that extra day can make a big difference sometimes, right? Depending exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that's that's sort of a, a, a very nice feature that people like. Um, they have two motors on them. There's one in each of the hulls, which means uh, maneuvering the boat is is easy because you can put one in forward and one in reverse, and the boat will basically spin on its spin. axis. Right? Cool. I, I can't spin my boat. No. Uh, if so, you are, there's a big problem. Right? <laughs> if you're spinning, there's a big problem. Right, right. And, you know, there's there's many schools of thought about the, the sailing performance of one is better than the sailing performance of another or, some of them go upwind really good. Others don't go upwind, all that stuff. That, those are all design parameters that the designer picked for the boat to perform a certain way. It's, it's like I like to say, you, if you tell me what you want your boat to do, and if I had the skill, I could design a boat that'll do that. You can't tell me you want your boat to do everything well, <laughs> right? But if you want it to go fast and you want it to point upwind really well, I can design a boat to do that, but that's probably going to mean it's going to do some other things not so well. So it's a trade-off like anything, right? Like cars. Uh, so some people have some strong opinions about catamarans versus monohulls. Uh, but I think this notion of uh, power cats, and there's another group of boats called trawlers which are sort of motorboats, but they don't go very fast. So they're sort of big, heavy motorboats uh, that typically have big diesel engines on them, so they're relatively efficient. They go maybe 10, 12 knots at the most. And, and both Powercats and these trawlers have gotten very popular as us baby boomers have aged. And we've come to the conclusion that sailing a boat is getting to be too much work. It's hard. So that's why you get, that was going to be my next question is why would you get a power cat instead of a sailing catamaran? Cause you can always just run the engines, right? And leave the sails down. But right. I see where, where you're going with this. Right. And power just, cats have, have bigger engines on them. So they go faster, right? They're right. designed They're a little bit different, right? Boats. Yes. Um, but, but, but that's, that's another boat. So trawlers and power cats have gotten, Simple have gotten more popular uh and you know there are things on the boat that oh geez i gotta go i gotta go do this <laughs> it's it's work right mm -hmm. so um i think that's the aging population but, right always... there's yeah and there, there's an art and science to sailing right and there's some extra things that you have to be really careful of right right when you're sailing and we've had lots of guests that have told us all about these things that if you're just have a motor it's a i mean there are other issues like you said but i think that that it is uh, in, in the long run, there's a lot fewer issues to worry about. Right, right. You know, the other thing I wanted to talk about just for a second is I remember when we bought our boat, I had sort of a list of things that uh, were important to us, certain characteristics we wanted. We wanted to, to have a pass-through stern so we could get on and off the boat easy. We wanted certain things in the boat. We wanted a queen-size bed that you could we could walk around both sides so we didn't 
one of us didn't have to crawl over the top of the other one to get out of bed at night to go to the bathroom. Here again, an aging population thing. And I thought Larry was really good as he talked about what was one of the really important things for him. And most people don't think about this was he really liked his boat because of the way it was designed and it was access to everything. So the designers, one of their important criteria was how do we fix these things? So things were not buried and, and unaccessible. In many boats, it's like you got to tear half the boat apart to get something. And there's some boats where you can't get to stuff just because of the manual. You know, they, they're, they're driven to a particular price point. So the manufacturing process dictates that the easiest, cheapest way for me to do this is to glue these two things together. But there's something between those two things that I may need to get access to at some point in time. But nah, now we got to cut mm. it apart. So I thought that was interesting in, in, in the PowerCat that they bought. This accessibility and ability to repair things was one of its key parameters. So, yeah, those were the things that I kind of garnered from our conversation. Cool. Yeah, well, that was great. I learned a lot. What do you think? Should we wrap this one up? Sounds good. Listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. Hope that you found our conversation with Larry interesting and thought-provoking like we did. If you have questions about what we've discussed, as always, feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting application. And if you know of someone that would make a good guest, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, uh, reach out to us in our email, and uh, maybe we'll get you on here. So hope to see you out there soon. Uh, so until next time, signing off from upstate New York. Take care. From over here in, you know, from over here in Münster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>